Welcome to another episode of Do Loss, and on today's show, we're going to talk about the ills of identity ideology. So we living in a world, uh, a cause and effect world, so that for every cause, for everything that happens, there is an effect that happens after that. There's no such thing as, a, as an effect without a cause. So no, no matter what takes place in this world, if I lift my hand up, something's going to take place with my heart rate's going to increase, my there's going to be some wind that that circulates around my arm. So no matter what you do in the world, there's going to be a consequence. There's going to be an effect to the cause that you make for good or for for evil. And so what we have to remember is that even ideas that we that we have are what we believe, what we think, uh, what we ponder on, what we internalize. Those things will have an effect on us, whether physiologically or socially. And one of the main things that I think is now uh, coming to the forefront and really has always been in the forefront in American public life is the issue of, of identity, particularly regarding race. Um, but I think I want, I want to talk about why, uh, why we have these ideas and why uh, ideas are important, but also why identity is important. And I think that's because God made identity. He's the one who authors what our true identities are. Are And so beginning uh, at the beginning, it says in the Genesis one, again, that God made them male and female. He created us male and female. So you're either a male or a female. And then more than that, you are uh, a son or a daughter. You're a friend. You're you have a particular vocation. You have particular gifts There's certain things about your personality, whether you're quiet, whether you're, you're you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you're gregarious or you like to be alone. No, no matter what, there's different things about you that make you you and nowhere in the bible does it talk about how what you look like uh, determines what your identity is uh what your identity is based on usually is where you come from what you uh what you partake in doing what you what beliefs that you have uh create your identity so it's not even necessarily what your money is your money i mean some people want their money their level of money they have to be their identity but that's just an aspect of who you are it doesn't determine ex your whole person and so um, what I want to talk about today is really how the, the ills of identity ideology really create a world in which people are grouped based on what they look like versus instead of what they how they actually are in the way that God God made them. And there's a verse in the Bible that talks about why we have to fight against and how we fight against these ideas. And in Second Corinthians 10, three through five, Paul uh, says that for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So he's saying here that though we are walking in these natural bodies, we have obviously physical bodies. You're seeing a physical body talking to you right now. You have a physical body. Uh, Paul is saying though we walk in these in, the, in this body, the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. So I'm not gonna. I'm I'm not out there trying to attack people physically and kill people physically uh, based on what they believe or how they think. So Paul is saying we don't war after the flesh. I'm not gonna take a gun. I'm not gonna take a rifle and go and shoot people. That's not the way. Christians ought to fight these battles. Uh, Paul says in verse four, for, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, so they're not fleshy, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So he says in verse five, casting down imaginations or reasonings or, or arguments or, or you know things that are publicly discourse. So these are the things that we are attacking as Christians. We are attacking uh, false ideologies, false belief systems that are not 
in accordance with the word of God. These are things that are puffed up, that are exalting themselves against the knowledge of God that he's given us in his word. And so every idea that we hear or that we come that we come into contact with in the world, we need to be bringing that into subjection to what the word of God says. So either we 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 twist it or we, we change it into how it can be uh, more biblical, more uh, uh, more truthful, or we just completely reject it if it's antithetical to what the Bible has to say. And so every every everything that we think, everything that we believe uh, makes us who we are, but what, who we are, it must be brought into subjection into the light of what the Bible says. And even Paul, as, uh, as part of his identity, he had, a, he had a very upstanding identity according to his own testimony. In Philippians 3, verses 4 through 9, Paul says that though I might have also have confidence in the flesh. So he said, I could have confidence in who I am as a person, as who my natural being is. I should have confidence in it, or I could have confidence in it. And he says, if any other man thinketh that he have that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So Paul is saying, if anybody thinks that they should be confident in who they are as a person in the natural, in the naturally, uh, and naturally speaking, he's saying, I should have more confidence than you. And this is why he says in verse five, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. So Israel was God's chosen people. God Himself was the one who ordained and chose Abraham from all the other peoples on the earth to create a covenant with him. And to use his descendants as his people to have a special covenant with, a special group, a special love for in the world. And, and Paul continues, he says, he's of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. And even Jesus said of the Pharisees, except, they, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so in the Jewish mind, when they heard that, obviously the Pharisees were the top, they were the cream of the crop, they were the ones who knew supposedly knew God more and understood more of his law and and were or drenched really and and consumed the law of God to a point where uh, they were above the rest and this is what this is part of Paul's this was part of Paul's identity so he's saying uh, as having confidence in the flesh as a Pharisee I should have confidence in that knowing that I was above the rest of my fellow brethren and he says in verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. So, and nobody was more zealous than Paul, persecuting the church, going from house to house, dragging people away and, and sending them into prison. And he, and he continues by saying, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So he said, according to the righteousness in the law, according to the law that he was keeping as a Pharisee, he was blameless. Nobody could bring a charge against Paul because he kept it externally so. And so nobody had any bad thing to say about Paul as far as his faithfulness to the law, to the righteousness that is in the law. In verse seven, he says, but what things were gained to me? So those things were things that were precious to him. They were, they were a, an asset. They were capital to him. He says, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them, but, and do count them, but dung that I may win Christ. So he was saying there that all those things, all those things that are make up, made up who he was before he was born again, all those things that were highly valuable in the Jewish mind, all those things were counted like dung, like excrement. He, he did not care about them at all in comparison to the knowing of the knowledge of Christ. He did not care about those things that made up his identity because even though they were high, uh, highfalutin, high class things that were a part of him, he said all those things were excrement. They were they were dung. They just did not matter at all to him in regarding his uh, his knowledge of Christ and having his, his identity in Christ. And so, and so because the world doesn't have 
an understanding of how their identity should be brought into subjection to what the Bible says. They will create all kinds of other identities that have nothing to do with the valuing of human beings and it will corrupt their thinking. It will corrupt how they operate, how they see the world because they don't understand that there is only one true identity that God has given us as, uh, as his people, either an identity in Christ as a Christian, as somebody who has been saved, who has been redeemed from the wrath of God and has now uh, has their identity in Christ and their life is hidden in Christ, as the Bible says, or their identity is lost and still made in the image of God, still with intellect and with reason and with understanding, but it's just broken and can't function because they don't have the knowledge of Christ operating within them. And we'll see that in this New York Times article that came out. Uh, that talks about this MIT professor who was uh, canceled from a talk that he tried to give because of his views on affirmative action and, uh, and diversity. So the title of the article is MIT's choice of lecturer ignited criticism. So did, it, so did its decision to cancel. So the article begins and it says, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology invited the geophysicist Dorian Abbott to give a prestigious public lecture this autumn. He seemed a natural choice, a scientific star who studies climate change and whether planets in distant solar systems might harbor atmospheres conducive to life. Then a swell of angry resistance arose. Some faculty members and graduate students argued that Dr. Abbott, a professor of the University of Chicago, had created harm by speaking out against aspects of affirmative action and diversity programs. In videos and opinion pieces, Dr. Abbott, who was white, has asserted that such programs, quote, treat uh, such programs treat, quote, people as members of a group rather than as individuals repeating the mistake that made possible the atrocities of the 20th century. And that's exactly right. When you treat people as members of groups rather than people, rather as individuals of who they are, how they act, how they react, how they think, then you start to flatten out uh, how you ought to treat people in a way that is godly, in a way that is moral, in a way that is right. As far as I know, this professor is not a Christian, but because he's stumbling on something that is truthful, it angered a lot of people. And we'll see what happened to him uh, as it continues. And there's really one quote in an article that I want to point out to that shows you the, the outworkings of this ideology that tends to contradict its own, uh, its own uh, professed goodness. And uh, so the article continues and it says that he said that his planned lecture at MIT would have made no mention of his views on affirmative action, but his opponents in the sciences argued he represented an infuriating, inappropriate and oppressive choice. So because of his views on diversity, on his views on and because of his views on affirmative action, people were saying that it just angered them. They were inappropriate views and not and and therefore he was not allowed. He shouldn't be allowed to speak at all, even if it was something completely different than the topic that they were angered about. So MIT reversed course and then the head of its atmospheric and planetary sciences department called off Dr. Abbott's lecture to be delivered to professors, graduate students, and the public, including some top black and Latino high school students. Uh, and the Robert Vanderhills, the head of the department of MIT, he, he was quoted as saying, besides freedom of speech, we have the freedom to pick the speaker who best fits our needs. Words matter and have consequences, which I agree with the Bible. Jesus even says that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall have, a, have to give an account thereof in the day of judgment. So no matter what we say, whether in passing or uh, in the privacy of our own hearts or in our home, what, every word we say, we'll have, to, we'll have to give an account before God. So what this, what this, uh, this uh, depart, department head is saying is true, and obviously not true in the sense that he agrees that he will have to stand before God. But he's saying that words matter and have consequences, which exactly is what the Bible is, what the Bible teaches. 
So the article continues that there were more arguments over freedom of speech and uh, wanting to be sensitive to other groups of people. And uh, another professor uh, at the University of Chicago said, I thought scientists would not get on board with the, with the denial of, free, of, this free, of the free speech movement. Uh, and he said, I was absolutely wrong, 100% so. And just as a side point, nobody is, nobody is uh, exempt or free or um, unable to have, uh, uh, to agree with bad views. There's nobody that, that can say that I can never be tempted to uh, into the views of racism or into the views of Nazism or into the views of, uh, of abortion right? or whatever evil belief system is out there. There's nobody that can say that I'll never be tempted by that because we are all falling creatures. We are all uh, broken in our understanding and in our, in our and in our thinking. So we are all susceptible to any evil belief, any, any and especially any sin. You can think of, of the most evil sin that you could possibly think of. And you are susceptible to, to doing that sin because we are all fallen. We are all capable of any sin that we've ever heard of because we are all human. The people that committed those atrocities were people just like us. And given the right circumstances, the right environment, the right uh, attention, and the right, uh, the, even the right promptings, the sin that was in the hearts of those people, the Nazis, uh, you know, the slaveholders, all kinds of evil that took place within, within history, especially in the 20th century, all those things were susceptible to, no matter what our, no matter what we look like, no matter where we came from. And until you are born again, sin has a grasp on you, and you will you will do whatever sin uh, your flesh desires, without the grace of God restraining that sin within you. So the article continues, and it says that Dr. Abbott, who was forty, spoke of his shock when he was told his speech was canceled. I truly did not know what to say. He said in, a, in an interview in his Chicago apartment, "We're not going to do the best science." If, we can if we are constrained ideologically. And also that is true. We, are, we have to operate on a basis of, if, we, if you really want to find truth, you have to get rid of your pre-understandings, your pre-conceived notions, and you have to um, be willing to have your views cross-examined. And there's a verse in the Bible that says that, that uh, he who is first in his cause seems just, but his neighbor cometh and, and searcheth him. Or some other translations say, uh, the first who pleads his cause is right, sounds right, until he is cross-examined. And so you have to be careful by not just believing the first thing that you hear. You have to be willing to be have your views challenged, have your views uh, put under the test of Scripture, and have your views examined by others to make sure that they are in alignment with what truth is. And that's how you get to truth. And that's why the Bible says you have to have at least two or three witnesses for something to be established. You can't just have one point of view, one way of doing things without having that test uh, of, 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 of your view by somebody else. And the article continues and it says the history of science is no less marked than other fields of learning by abhorrent chapters of suppression uh, of suppression and prejudice. Nazi and communist regimes twisted science to their own end and scientists buckled, fled or suffered perilous consequences. Some professors point to aspects of that history as a cautionary tale for American science in the United States. So-called race science, including the measurement of skulls with the intent to determine intelligence was used to justify the subordination of black people, Chinese, Italians, Jews, and others. Experiments were carried out on people without their consent. And this is why this, this is what happens when you have um, people who are fallen, sinners, who are engaging in science, inventing, whole, inventing out of whole cloth science that has nothing to do with actual testing, demonstration of, of, uh, of objective data. 
they were already going in with a bias against blacks or against Chinese or Italians or whoever it was. And they wanted to determine why they should justify the treatment of this certain group of people because of how they look or because of their own preconceived biases. And, that's, and this is how you get race science. This is how you get all these kinds of pseudosciences that take place in the world. And here's the part that I really wanted to get to. As you can see that this, this ideology of focusing on identity in a secular way, in a, in a sinful way, really leads to a contradiction of terms and it leads to just more of the same, just in a different way of speaking. Phoebe Cohen is a geosciences professor and department chair at Williams College and one of many who expressed anger on Twitter at MIT's decision to invite Dr. Abbott to speak, given that he has spoken against affirmative action in the past. So she is she was angry that this guy came to speak because he has spoke against affirmative action, which is a process of, of making sure you have a, a set of a set of a group of people within colleges or within professorships or things of that nature to make sure that things are quote unquote even and, and, and diverse enough in within the, a certain realm, namely uh, public universities. Um, so Dr. Cohen agreed that Dr. Abbott's views reflect a broad current in American society. Ideally, she said, a university should not invite speakers who do not share its values on diversity and affirmative action, nor was she enamored of MIT's offer to let him speak at a later date to the MIT professors. This is what she's quoted as saying, honestly, I don't know that I agree with that choice. To me, the professional consequences are extremely minimal. What, she was asked, of the effect of academic debate. Should the, should the academy serve as, as a bastion of unfettered speech? So this reporter is asking her, really asked her a good question. If we want to have an academy that is full of knowledge and intellectual debate and, and having a, a, uh, an environment that is conducive to finding truth and, get, and getting at truth, she said, what, what, should, shouldn't we have an academy that has unfettered speech? Now, obviously, that can be interpreted in different ways as if, uh, you know, unfettered meaning that you don't limit anybody from speaking anything, which I think in certain cases you should. Um, but uh, in this case, she was saying in relation to this guy's views on affirmative action and diversity, should should we not have academic debate in the university? And th listen to her response. This is really telling of what this worldview of, of, of focused identity on things that are not truly ident identities, according to scripture. Uh, this is where it takes you. And this is this is her belief system acting out and being played out out of her own mouth. So she, and she said she's quoted. This is what she said. She said. This idea of intellectual debate and rigor as, a, as the pinnacle of intellectualism comes from a world in which white men dominated, she replied. So this is somebody who claims to want affirmative action, who, who wants diversity. And this is the same woman saying that intellectual debate and rigor was as a pinnacle of intellectualism comes from a world in which white men dominated, as if to say that if you are not a white man you are not able to you're not able to get into the world of intellectual debate and rigor you don't have the qualifications to uh or really the just the natural gifting to be able to engage in debate and have rigor and have rigorous uh scholarship uh done by you because you're not quote unquote white because this 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 thing of intellectual debate and rigor is only made for uh, a world in which white men were the dominant force that that's telling because she again she agrees in diversity she agrees with uh, affirmative action but she is saying and exposing her own heart by saying that intellectual rigor and intellectual debate are really only to be had in a world dominated by by white men and that's and that's that's the, that's a contradiction of her own worldview coming out of her own mouth 
And so she continues and says that Dr. Abbott said his department, uh, or the article continues and says Dr. Abbott said his department had spoken of restricting a faculty search to female applicants and underrepresented minorities, except for Asians, except for except for Asians. He opposed it. So he was saying, why why should we uh, restrict our our view or our potential client pool or, or applicant pool just to a certain sex or a certain group of people? We should open it all to, to all people. And regardless of where they come from or who they are, that would be that would create true diversity. And so he just continues and, and continue. He continued to really double down on his views, not really in an inflammatory way, but in a way that re, that became inflammatory as people wanted him kicked off of campus. And uh, so he had posted some videos online and and uh, and some professors and some students said that it was creating a, a climate of violence and and unsafe uh, it was unsafe for them to be at school because of his uh, because of his videos online and so he took them down as a show of some kind of respect and solidarity for them but that shows you how how people can em embed their identity so much so that any contrary view to their identity to them seems like it's inflicting harm on them and it's inflicting some kind of uh some kind of degrading of their self-worth if they hear a conflicting view on what they believe to be a part of their true identity and this is why in paul's case that he got rid of all those things and not because he didn't want to be offended but because he had a he had the better thing to look to he had he had christ he had he had the excellency of the knowledge of christ in particular that he wanted so badly that he was willing to get rid of every other thing and every other every other piece of his identity is going to be is going to be um uh, lost or at least and you know far less important than his uh, his identity in Christ you know the Paul, Paul also wrote that there's neither Jew nor Greek there's neither bond nor free there's neither even male nor female we are all one in Christ Jesus we are all one in him once you come to Christ as a as a Christian and and you you are, you are repentant of your sin and you find your your hope and your eternal life and your joy and your peace and knowing and serving Christ, then after that, your identity, all your other identities really mean nothing to you because those are all going to be lost anyway. Once you eventually die and go to heaven, you're not going to be worried about what you look like. You're not going to be worried about your money. You're not, you're not going to be worried about your vocation. All you're going to be consumed with is glorifying and worshiping and spending time with Christ and your fellow brothers and sisters in heaven for all of eternity. So you're not going to care about all the rest of the stuff that goes on in the world that we're fighting over that we are that we are, um, you know, holding up with such uh, esteemed value when the importance of our life, the whole point of our well-being is to live and to follow and to honor Jesus Christ. That's what this whole life is about. It's not about making sure you're the best white man or the, be or the best black man or the best or the best man or the best husband. All those things will be counted as nothing in comparison to whether or not you know Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. And that's what this whole life is about is whether is about what do you do with jesus christ will you come to faith in him will you come to acknowledge that you are a sinner which is really your ultimate identity outside of christ you are a sinner you have broken god's law you are convicted you are guilty of lying of stealing of lusting after a person you're uh, guilty of gossiping you're guilty of, of of complaining all these things that carry with it the death penalty as the bible says that's your identity. A sinner is your identity outside of Christ. But inside of Christ, you are forgiven, you are cleansed, you are washed, you are now a saint, and you are now given the, the grace of God to love and to serve and to honor him. 
And that really is the beauty of coming to Christ, where you don't have to worry about who you are anymore. Because all you all you know is that you are consumed with knowing, loving and serving him and that you are your identity can never be taken away in Christ, no matter how many attacks come against it. Not even if people kill you will your identity cease to exist because your identity is found in Jesus, who cannot be killed, uh, who can not, who can never be dominated uh, ever, ever again. And uh, that's the blessing of knowing him and serving him. So. When it comes to these worldly identities versus the Christian identity, these worldly identities are going to go away. They're going to fall. They're going to falter. They're going to they're going to disappoint you. You're going to be hurt by them, as these students are, as they are feeling that their identity is being attacked and and not preserved in the way that they deem fit. The the thing with your identity in Christ is that it will always be preserved. It will always be. It will always stand firm. It will always stand any attack that comes against it, because your identity is found in the God who is the God who created all things for himself and nobody can ever thwart his plan so that is the good news of identity in christ so i thank you for listening to this episode and i will see you on the next do loss episode and also i wanted to say that coming up we have a new uh series that i started i will uh, show i'll be interviewing some uh amazing guests that i've talked with that i know personally they uh, uh go to my church and some I just know from different places here uh, in, my, in my life that God has given me the ability to know them. So I want you to tune in on Sunday for our first guest. It will be uh, Jeff Danker, the founder, founder and host of the show Buck Ventures. And uh, he, will, he, was, he was a lot of fun to talk with. And he has a, he has a great testimony of how he came to Christ. And I uh, had a fun time talking to Jeff. So I hope you enjoy it. And it will be coming out this Sunday on uh check the date here march 20th and so i hope you take a view of it and i will see you on the next episode of do Lost.